In this week's In-Ear Insights, we are back from the Marketing Profs B2B Forum 2022. Uh, Katie, your first uh, in-person conference since, you know, the whole public health crisis and stuff. This is, was my fourth. And uh, would love to hear what were your big takeaways? What are the things that, that you heard or saw and, and what are you going to do different? Um, well, everybody's awkward. Nobody knows how to behave publicly anymore. <laughs> No, you know, it's interesting. You're right. It was my first event back and it was a big event, at least for me. Like there was, you know, lots of people milling around. So going into it, like I definitely had some of that anxiety of, you know, I don't know what to expect anymore because, you know, previously you could just show up at an event, do your thing. And now there's protocols and, you know, all kinds of things, which is, you know, good. I think that marketing profs did a really nice job of, making sure that people could show up on their own terms and feel like their own safety, you know, uh, wasn't being compromised just for the sake of the conference. So I would say that was definitely a good thing. And I would like to see that trend continue and extend into other events. So I think that in terms of, you know, takeaways, I think that was a big thing um, in terms of just like the com comfortability of each individual attendee. Um you know, I didn't get to uh, attend a lot of sessions, unfortunately. I was sort of, my goals, my personal goals for attending a conference uh, aren't necessarily around learning what's going on. It's more, I have goals of making specific connections and having conversations in order to, you know, continue to grow the business. And thankfully, I was able to meet those goals and talk to those people. Um I did see sort of, it feels like there's this unspoken, like, bucking against artificial intelligence. There's, you know, yeah, technology is cool. Yeah, AI is cool. But don't forget, you're human. And so while people weren't, speakers weren't going out of their way to necessarily diss the benefits of artificial intelligence, there was definitely this trend of, don't forget to be human. Don't forget to personalize it. You know, don't fall into the trap of being like one of a million, you know, falling into the masses, like stand out, be personal, like do your own thing, be an individual, be a snowflake. And so it was, I, that, I think that was the thing I saw the strongest was how do I stand out in a crowd amongst all this noise? And that's not a new, you know, question. That's not a new thing that we should be asking ourselves the way in which people were approaching it, I think was sort of the, uh, I, you know, I'm hesitant to call it new. Nothing is new anymore. That's the problem, but it's sort of just sort of the reinventing. So I think there was a lot of emphasis on don't forget to be an individual. Interesting. Um, when people, when you hear people talking about artificial intelligence in that context, then what is it that, they're saying specifically about it. So obviously the whole be human part is sort of the contrary position, but how do how are people understanding it? It has have people's understanding improved in the last few years since the last time we were all out, you know, doing the dog and pony shows. Understanding of it being artificial intelligence? Yeah. You know, I would say it's it's improved in the sense that now it's sort of just like a word that we all use in everyday vocabulary. Like, you know, we talk about artificial intelligence the same way we might talk about like 
you know, a sweatshirt. It's just sort of like an everyday object now. Do we all own one? Not necessarily. But do we all sort of have a general idea of what it is? Sure. And I think that there is more of an understanding that artificial intelligence at its very, very basic core level is more automation. It's doing repeated tasks and getting some kind of an output. And so, you know, I'd say that there's not an understanding of the sophistication of what you can do with artificial intelligence, but I would say actually there's probably more of a better understanding of what something like robotic process automation is, for example. Got it. Intelligent automation, sort of the, yeah. the saving time of, of things. Got it. Mm -hmm. One thing I noticed was um, there were several sessions this time around on influencers, on mm -hmm. influencer marketing. Uh, our friend and, and colleague Ashley Zuckman did a, a really nice talk on it. And I, I thought it was very interesting that influencer marketing i think b2b folks are still struggling with the the perception that it you know it, it, it's kardashians or nothing um mm -hmm. <laughs> and and uh, clearly that's not the case but one of the 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 macro trends that i think is just starting to be realized now is that as data privacy and data restrictions get tougher and tougher rightfully so uh, influencer marketing may be one of the channels where you figure out, okay, who has my audience so that I can go after them because I can't just, you know, buy a list from, from, you know, uh, LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever the you get your data from, nor you, know, you used to get your data from. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's also just sort of redefining what an influencer is. Um, you know, when you have platforms like, TikTok and you know other social platforms that are just sort of these quick snippets pretty much anyone can you know go viral for something and then suddenly be called an influencer and so like again sort of it's not a new concept but there's always this mismatch of just because you have you know followers on your thing doesn't mean that they're well aligned with what it is that you do and so I think that you know, so I was driving, unfortunately, while Ashley's session was going on, so I missed it. But I would imagine that there is, you know, some sort of a conversation around making sure that there's alignment between what you do and what these influencers, you know, generally talk about and speak for, because it comes back to, you know, the, the brand itself, they represent your brand, they represent, you know, your products, your services, and quite frankly, you if you're the one who hired them. And so making sure that you're doing that due diligence and where to find that data, how to make those decisions. You know, again, that's not a new concept, but it's one of those concepts that you need to continually repeat because as new platforms get developed and as a new crop of influencers, you know, basically come onto the market, people get excited. They're like, oh, well, here's someone who nobody else is working with yet. Let me go ahead and grab them. They have a lot of followers. And all of those rules that we've developed in terms of vetting influencers just goes out the window. We forget. So people like Ashley who do this professionally to, you know, source influencers, her job is to keep repeating the same message over and over again because a new crop of marketers come onto the market too. And now they're tasked with finding influencers and they need to figure out what the rules are. So the, those of us who are constantly repeating the rules that's our job. That's really the trend is we stay the course and we keep repeating the same message for all the turnover that happens in the marketing industry. So for someone like me, where I go to a conference, I'm like, 
well, none of this is new, but I'm also not new to my role. Exactly. And speaking of that, I it feels like the great marketing reboot is in full effect. I was in Michael Barber's email session, and at one point during his talk, he said, uh, how many people are familiar with Apple's mail privacy protection, which came out in June of 2021? It was a big deal because uh, we had talked about, even on this show, about how it's going to wreck open rates. And it kind of has kind of messed up uh, open rates because of the way Apple's servers prefetch email. And he says, how many people, and this is a room of about 100 people, how many people have heard of Apple's mail privacy protection? Of course, me being the, you know, the nerd in the front of the room, like, hey, me. <laughs> um, and then I look around. Not a single hand. I'm like, this is more than a year old. And this is impacting every email marketing program, period. And no one else has their hands up. It's not, it can't be shyness because you know, got the, the, the nerd up front waving his hand. So you're not going to look more nerdy than that uh, <laughs> from a social pressure thing. I was stunned. Like, how do you folks do your jobs if, if you don't know about this thing, which dramatically impacts your email marketing? And this kept coming to your point with influencer marketing, right? Having to repeat the same old things like reach, relevance, engagement, uh, brand alignment, uh, brand safety. In your conversations with attendees, um, actually, now that I think about it, we actually got some feedback, um, some, some fairly um, dissatisfied feedback from a couple of participants in our workshop saying, I wanted a basics 101 GA4 workshop and this was not it. So mm -hmm. how do you feel about the great marketing reboot? Did you see it firsthand? I mean, I feel like we've been talking about it and we, so we already knew that people wanted the basics and, you know, that to me was just more information. You know, some of the feedback was I wanted a GA4 course. The other feedback was too much data science. And so, you know, when I hear your takeaway that, you know, people aren't paying attention to data privacy, for example, or how it impacts, to me, that's like a 301 in terms of their understanding of how something like an email marketing works. Like the basics of email marketing is how do I get the email out to people so it doesn't bounce? Like that's step number one. So that's the 101. Number two is, you know, curating your subscriber list and keeping it clean. And then number three is figuring out you know, data privacy. So I'm unsurprised that that was your takeaway because, again, you're not new to the industry. So you don't need to go back to the refreshers of the 101 and the 201. You're sort of at the 501, the 601 in terms of your understanding of how, you know, something like an email marketing works. And so you were sort of at that deeper knowledge level. Um, so yeah, I think we definitely saw the great reboot because, you know, it's funny, we were talking about how to put together a marketing strategy or a measurement strategy, rather, you know, going beyond just throwing numbers in a spreadsheet. And to us, to you and I, Chris, we're like, well, yeah, it's more than just a spreadsheet. But to people who are new to a role or new to a company, it is you have to relearn this all over again. And it's not our job to pass judgment on the fact that these people don't know it, it's our job to continue to educate and set them up for success. And so I don't think we're going to get away from teaching the basics anytime soon. No, probably never. But it has definitely been more prominent that uh, people are much more back to uh, square one. <clears throat> Even, you know, we were at a couple of the, the, uh, um, influencer events and things, uh, and even talking to folks who work for, 
prominent brands. You know, our, our friend Justin Levy brought along one of his his team members, and just listening to the person sort of explain from their point of view because they're 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 new in their role and they're new um, to the industry. Going, wow, there is, there are a couple of decades of of I guess legacy is one way of explaining or history mm -hmm. that would inform in this case like your social media marketing strategy that just aren't there and and it, it sounded like you know in, in conversations with someone else they, there are no no one has even the basic theoretical frameworks of how to set the stuff up i mean <clears throat> i remember in the the friday session we did we put up the the five piece framework and people are you know whipping out their phones and taking photos of them like i mean it's it's not it's not super new. I mean, it's not even super new to us anymore. It's not super new to us, but I think this is something that we've, you know, talked about before is like, at least for me, my job is not innovation. My job is to take tried and true, you know, frameworks and practices and all those things and present them in a way that people can understand them and connect with them. And so the five P framework is a different way it's a different spin on the on tackling the same challenges that people have had for you know decades you know people are the problem great how do i approach it that's not a new problem at all um you know we have a lack of process okay go ahead and document everything the way in which you approach tackling that problem is what's new because that's where you bring in artificial intelligence that's where you bring in you know, one of the 9,000 tools on the MarTech 9000, there's a new approach to the same problems. And I really think like that is, I mean, that's sort of the name of the game. That's the point of these conferences is the problems themselves aren't new. The approach to solving the problem is what could be different, but it doesn't have to be, you know, revolutionary and, you know, this epic thing. It can just be, oh, you know, that's a really good point. I never thought about it that way. Let me go ahead and see if that works. Because the biggest takeaway that we got from our workshop, are the, of the eight hours that we taught, what was the one thing everybody said they were going to try first? User stories. User stories. Guess what? I didn't invent user stories. <laughs> user stories have been around for a very long time. But what we did was we gave them a new tool which is a user story to approach solving the same problems that they've already had that's the goal to me that was a success if people can take away something different and try that and find a little bit of success then we've done our jobs mm -hmm. yep um i did notice that in a lot of the other sessions because uh between the ones i attended and then i was catching up uh over the weekend on some of the ones uh streaming some of the reported ones because there were a couple i wanted to get to but just just couldn't because of time um there were a lot of i think very good um tactical uh improvements here and there that i i thought were really helpful so one uh from our friend tony now who uh videoed our our friday session um mm -hmm. you did a great session on video and one of the things he was very adamant about like okay that makes a lot of sense just from my own behavior he's like stop putting intros that are you know on your video stop putting these you know 10 15 20 30 60 second intros he's like nobody wants to watch them and as i was scrolling through linkedin this weekend you know looking at and there's this one video that had like a, a nine and a half seconds intro and i just kept going I'm like oh well i guess that's um 
So I know, you know, personally, I'm going to be trying that out now. Maybe try out with the Trust Insights podcast. Say, you know, do we need the 15 second intro, or is it pretty apparent just from our branding? <laughs> like, yeah, you're listening to our show. You don't need an intro for it. Well, I I would liken that to uh, looking for a recipe online and getting eight pages of backstory <laughs> of your grandmother's neighbor's cousin's donkey's you know recipe. <laughs> for you know mashed corn because they would go pick it in the dawn of the morning with the slightest little drop of dew that this one time reminded me of a trip that i took to vienna and while i was there i met this woman who would you know hand stitch these little sayings into the carpet and by the way one of the sayings reminded me of this time that my grandfather told me this story about the war and for the love of god just tell me how many eggs go in the cake it's very much the same thing like the intro is nice but it's you know think about when you're streaming for example streaming uh you know tv shows and movies if you're watching a television series and you happen to sit down and watch you know more than one episode you know uh a system like netflix netflix gives you the option to skip the intro because like i already know what i'm watching I don't need to watch the intro all over again. I've been watching it for six hours. I don't need to be reintroduced to the thing. And so I see intros on like videos and that kind of thing very much the same way. That was a rant that I didn't know was coming, but here we are. <laughs> well, I, I I think then that makes it pretty clear we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of trimming and house cleaning. Um, from well, one we needed to do some updating anyway. Exactly, but this this just makes it simpler. Whoosh, gone. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the um, the other thing that I thought was uh, fairly insightful from one of the email marketing discussions was, and it was just, this is simple. We've been doing it for a little while in our own stuff. Anne Hanley's been doing it in her newsletters for a while. Is that unlike uh, images in newsletters, which don't load uh, by de- by default and stuff, um, emoji load all the time. They're just they're just character sets. So if there are calls to action you want to bring into you know to visually set apart in a newsletter, just use some emoji. Use use that little pointing finger at the link you want people to click on. Um, and I can definitely confirm just just having read certain newsletters, like yeah, it does catch your eye. If you if you're not like you know pouring emoji all over everything if you, if you are selective and it's used for like calls to action put the little pointing finger and and maybe that's it um it is enough to set apart a a link from the rest of your wall of text that that is noticeable so i've been trying it now for a few weeks um uh, just in in my own stuff but we've been using it uh, i've been using it in subject lines for mm-hmm. probably a, the better part of a year now and yeah it, it's not something that um you know, is going to be blocked and it looks consistent across platforms. I definitely say that's a proceed with caution because I think, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope. Once you start using one, you're like, Oh, let me add another one. Let me add another one. And then the next thing, you know, your whole newsletter is this like goofy thing of all these emojis instead of actually like, you know, speaking words. So I would definitely proceed with caution. I would definitely use some restraint in using emojis uh, in your communication. Because, you know, I think that emojis are fine. I think there's a time and place for them, but you also don't want them to distract from your message or take away from the authority that you're trying to demonstrate. 
Yeah, we use three of them right now. I was just looking back. We use three of them in the Trust Insights newsletter. One is for the 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 download call to action at the very top, and then there's two on each of our paid courses just to set them aside from the free courses and stuff that are available. So uh, things that are high value, high uh, high attention uh, needed on them. We use emojis. Mm-hmm. We have them for a couple issues now. Okay. <laughs> we'll take that offline. <laughs> so uh in terms of other uh takeaways from the event any other did, did you get a chance to attend any sessions other than the ones we were speaking at unfortunately no i <laughs> mean i was in transit for mm. uh a bit of it so i you know fortunately live locally to the event and so i was able to go home i didn't need to stay the whole time which is uh which was something that i needed i got exhausted by the event pretty quickly um you know, and then in terms of being able to catch up with people, the only time I was able to find some quiet was while everybody else was in sessions. Um, but the benefit of an event like Marketing Profs is that they did put all of the sessions online. And so I can spend some time this week catching up on the sessions that I didn't have a chance uh, to catch last week. So I may have more takeaways for you uh, down the line. But I think overall, the big takeaways, you know, as we've talked about are, you know, the basics never go out of style. Repeating them, finding new approaches to the same problems is what is always going to resonate. Always going to resonate. You know, bringing the shiny new object is wonderful. People really, you know, glom onto it. But if it's not actionable, if it's not something that people can go, oh, okay, I know exactly what to do with that, then in some ways it's just kind of like you're wasting your time, you're wasting their time. So if you want to introduce a shiny new object, make sure that it's, you know, actionable. Make sure that people can do something with it. Yep. And what about the session that we did on Friday? What were sort of the takeaways from what we had a chance to present? Because I think we had the audio from that. I know we're going to have a video from it at some point in the next couple of months, but I was thinking we might turn the audio into like a bonus podcast episode. But what was, what was your takeaway from what we shared in our, in our management and leadership sort of fireside chat? The big takeaway was, so I had a couple of people asking questions afterwards. And the, and the trend is I just moved from an individual contributor to a manager. How do I, like, how do I reset my thinking? Or how do I tell my boss that I'm no longer an individual contributor? Like, they know they promoted me, but they still treat me as such. Um, and so, you know, there was two big things, at least in my brain, was document everything you do. Because the biggest issue that I see with new managers is delegation. And it's not that they don't want to, it's that they don't trust that anyone can do it exactly the way that they want to do it. So document everything, set those expectations of this is how I do it. This is exactly, you know, follow this recipe. And then you build that trust. The other thing is you need to set those boundaries and not, and but also hold them. And so if your boss who's promoted you is still treating you like an individual contributor, but then also coming to you and saying, but I also need you to manage the team, that's when you need to reset those expectations of boundaries. Say, okay, here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. But then you yourself are responsible for maintaining those boundaries because you're going to be like, oh, but it'll take me five minutes. I can just do the thing. I'll just do it myself. You're then setting yourself backward and not moving forward. And so that it is, it's a mind shift, it's tough, it takes practice, but that's the biggest challenge I see. And so we had, our recommendation was hire a professional manager and not someone who's a practitioner. 
from that point of view though do you see companies figuring out or or seeing the need to figure out that individual contributors and managers are separate professions they're not figuring it out but there is a need to figure it out how does somebody get started on communicating that to to leadership to say like yeah this is not you're you're basically asking your top talent to no longer use their top talents it's it, it comes down to starting with the skills gap assessment. What does the company need? What do you, what does your team have? Like, and what do you want to do? Because putting people in roles that they don't want to do is how you get turnover. Um, and so, you know, if someone wants to be a manager, that's great. They need to be clear on what that entails. And they are no longer the rock star of the team. You know, they are now sort of fading into the background and letting other people shine. If they are okay with that, Great. But that's part of the conversation is, do we need a bunch of rock stars? Or do we need just people who can, you know, you know, be the tour manager and get the rock stars on stage? <laughs> and so I'm a tour manager. I'm not the rock star. But that I'm a great analogy. With, but I'm good with that role. Right. And I have no problem fading into the background to let other people get on stage and shine. Because that means I've done my job. And so that's a big part of it is it's, you know, it's people's, we talk about attitude and aptitude. It has to be the right attitude. I would say 90% of the job of a manager is the right attitude. Is that something that you can determine in the hiring process though? Like, can you, how do you oh, tell yeah. someone I, who, who has a good attitude as a manager versus someone who doesn't? We do. Uh, I mean, you absolutely can. And I feel like we're starting to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole off topic. Um, and, you know, so we can talk about that. But yeah, maybe it's a separate episode. It is. We ab you absolutely can determine the right attitude. And it's through, you know, a series of, you know, questions that are related to it. You know, tell me about your experience, blah, blah, blah. And it's more than just tell me about your experience. You have to get into more specifics. And then you present different scenarios and you see how people would handle them. You know, you're not going out there saying, I need you to fade into the background because quite honestly, nobody, there's a lot of people who'd be like, I don't want to do that. I want to get credit where credit is due. And so you have to start to dig into those kinds of uh, conversations. Yeah, I think this definitely needs to be its own episode because I think there's a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, as always with any conference, some of the best uh, learning and some of the best conversations always happen in the hallways at, at those uh, unscheduled, unplanned moments. We have a long list of them for ourselves to, 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 uh, to work on. <clears throat> but one that was uh, from one of the SEO roundtables early on is that the... Um, the prevalence of Google taking clicks away from sites uh, is is continuing. I had a chance to sit down with Andy Crestedine and showed him our search console metrics and said, my impressions are going up. Yay. Right. Google thinks I'm more relevant, uh, but our clicks going down. He's like, yeah, that's because you're 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 competing on terms that Google it wants to keep the traffic for. So they're going to show a featured snippet or an instant answer or something that will not send you the traffic. He said, so that's that's probably what's going on there because he said, if your impressions are going down, then you know you, something's wrong with your site. But uh, you look at the last six months, our, the Trust Insights website, impressions are going up, up, up. So we're, we're doing a good job of being relevant. It's just Google's taking our lunch. So mm -hmm. um, 
some of the those are those are some of our our takeaways from marketing profs. I'm, like Katie said, we will have more uh, as we process through all of the the different sessions and things. Uh, but if you were there at the event, or you weren't there, or you maybe you were hybrid and online. Or you've been to another event uh, similar recently and you've got some takeaways you'd like to share, pop on over to our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers and share the little takeaways and things that you've gotten from recent events. And wherever it is you watch or listen to the show, if there's a place you'd rather have it on instead, go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast where you can find the show on most major platforms. And if you enjoy the show, please uh, leave us a review and, uh, and leave us a rating. That'd be very helpful. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.